0: spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer here's a camping hack from ll bean to make your next trip the best yet when putting together your gear wrap a piece of duct tape around your water bottle it's barely noticeable but if another piece of gear breaks or tears pull off your tape to make a quick patch or repair for more camping hacks visit youtube.com slash ll bean ll bean be an outsider Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound Podcast. This is your host, Robert Silva. Tonight, we will be discussing the entire card that occurred Saturday night in Dallas, Texas, at the AT&T Stadium. And then I will go into my number 44 fighter of the last 45 years series, the Australian windmill, Jeff Fennec. But first... Saturday night. Before we get into the main event, let's talk about the pay-per-view undercard. Uh, This was the night of the washed-up bums getting their asses handed to them. Um, None of these fights were competitive. I do not understand why these three fighters continue to get sanctioned and, to, and continue to get big fights and they're shot. They're walking zombies. We will start first with the Canadian Cody Crowley's 10-round dominating performance over Jose Cito Lopez. Lopez has been a career jobber to the stars. Uh, he's been living off his one big win over Victor Ortiz several years ago. Uh, he beat the hell out of Ortiz, and since then, He's been fed to several welterweights, and again, he was fed Saturday night to the up and coming contender Crowley. Crowley did whatever he wanted to against Lopez. Lopez has never been more than a middle of the road jobber to the stars. The man is, all right, they call him the Riverside Rocky. He's a brawler who has no real skills. He's a goddamn punching bag when he fights real fighters. Oh, he could beat guys on his level or below, but he can never. And by the way, Victor Ortiz was over, always overrated. L- yes, Lopez beat him, and Ortiz was coming off his destruction at the hands of Floyd Mayweather, and he wasn't a pimple on Mayweather's ass. So, Lopez has. His time clock expired a long time ago. Yet they continue to feed him, to, uh, PBC that is, to welterweights on the up and up. Please k- keep Lopez away from Boots Ennis because that will be a murder. Uh, Crawley was impressive, but he was going to be impressive. He, he he fought a guy that had no business fighting him. We will see what happens when Crawley steps up and fights possibly the Boots Ennis. And uh, Virgil Ortiz of the world. By the way, he ain't beating either fighter. Then we go on to the next fight Saturday night. And that was Jose Valenzuela versus another washed-up zombie in Francisco Vargas. Francisco Vargas, even in his prime, was a one-dimensional brawler. Uh, He used his chin as his uh, best method of defense because he couldn't – He couldn't and can't got a punch to save his life. A one-punch knockout. And by the way, once again, these God-awful announcers. The preliminary fights on the pay-per-view, I was watching with the feed with Ray Flores and his color commentator. The color commentator, uh, Mr. Miguel, Called the knockout punch, which was a left cross a left hook I will continue to rip these clowns There's a huge difference between a hook and a cross and these guys do not learn don't don't, don't care to learn anyway, he knocks him out with a left cross in the 90 seconds into the fight Vargas it's criminal if anybody should ever give him Another, uh, a license to fight again He has no business in the ring He's damaged goods And speaking of damaged goods You're Scamboa Why does this 40 year old Cuban fighter Who at one point in time Was one of the most skillful fighters On the planet Is a shell of that fighter Right now he's a walking zombie And he went in against The rugged Pitbull Isaac Cruz, and took a ferocious beating from the opening bell. Dropped three times. Uh, this fight should have When this fight was first announced, when Carlos first talked about this fight, I told Carlos months ago on this podcast that this fight shouldn't take place. Gamboa has no business in the ring. He's going to get hurt. He's going to get hurt badly. And the damage done for the rest of his life is immeasurable this this is ridiculous uh isaac cruz almost kills gamboa uh, uh, in route to a fifth round stoppage this was horrible horrible refereeing referees should have stopped this fight a long time ago gamboa's uh trainers his team his handlers they had no business allowing this fight to go past the third round this was a one-sided Go to your happy prize, Priceline. Speaking of one-sided beatings, we go to the main event in what was Errol Spence's greatest performance. Kudos to the Dallas stud, Errol Spence. Errol Spence was focused. Errol Spence knew what was on the line, and he came at your do- your Danis Ugas Saturday night. And he used the tools that he has at his at his in his arsenal that were better than Ugas. And what's shocking about Spencer's performance Saturday night is that twice in the last three years he's come back from insurmountable injuries, insurmountable events in his life. That would have ended anybody else's career First, the fall of 2019 The car crash that catapulted his body out of the car And he fell face first onto the concrete floor And miraculously I believe Less than uh, six months later He was in the ring and he defeated Danny Garcia Convincingly over 12 rounds Then Last summer, he was supposed to fight Manny Pacquiao, found out that he uh, had a serious eye injury, an eye injury that I believe was caused by that car accident and not caught by the commission prior to the fight against Danny Garcia, meaning that the fight against Garcia further damaged that eye. It was career-threatening. Successful surgery, but we didn't know. If it would affect him going into last night's fight, well, you know what? It didn't affect him. He was sensational behind that incredible right jab and constant thunderous body shots. Spence, I've always said, one of the top five body punches in the sport today. He has incredible, incredible, incredible And I'm going to say it again, incredible power when it comes to those body shots. And he wore Ugas down. Now, there was a brief hiccup. Sixth round, Ugas staggered and almost dropped Spence. And I think it should have been called a knockdown. Middle of the sixth round, Spence loses his uh, mouthpiece and he gets distracted. And Ugas catches him and staggers him, and Spence bounced off the ropes. Now, technically, the ropes held Spence up, and it should have been called a knockdown. Referee Lawrence Cole, who is a mediocre referee at best, he the only reason he got that assignment is because his father has been a huge presence in the Texas boxing landscape and commission for years. Dickie Cole's. Lawrence Cole had no business refereeing that fight. He's not that great a referee. Oh, he should have called that a knockdown and then, while Ugas is rallying inexplicably, Cole stopped the fight to put the, have the mouthpiece put back in Spencer's mouth. That was uncalled for. There wasn't a lowland action like the rule state Anyway, kudos to Spence, because even though he was stunned and almost dropped in the sixth round, and by the way, that's the first time in my lifetime that I've seen Spence in serious trouble. Seventh round, he came back, staggered Ugas with a beautiful uppercut, and continued to beat that body. Eighth round, he battered that body. Ninth round, he battered that body, and he was landing uppercuts galore. Hooks and crosses, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Every punch thrown is not a hook, you dumb bastards. And then in the 10th round, he batted that body, staggered Ugas again with an uppercut. Cole uh, called timeout, referee Cole, brought Ugas over to the doctor. The doctor recommended the fight to be stopped. Um... I don't know why Cole took Ugas to the doctor. Ugas's right eye was completely shut. He should have just stopped the fight. Uh, Cole, you're not blind. Why are you taking uh, the advice of a doctor? You've been refereeing since you was 20, 21 years old. All right. Why the hell are you bringing the fighter to the doctor when you can see for yourself that Ugas A is not responding and B he can't see? And it was target practice for Spence. Doctor advised referee Cole to stop the fight. Cole stopped the fight. 10th round technical knockout, like I predicted on other platforms. I predicted Spence wound by 10th round technical knockout, and he did the most impressive victory of Errol Spence's career, considering what he's gone through physically and emotionally the last three years. Now, There's only one fight to make at 147, and both men won it. There is no top rank and PBC interference. Terrence Crawford is a free agent. Let's get this fight done in the fall. Terrence Crawford versus Errol Spence for the undisputed welterweight championship of the world, and I don't give a damn if one of the sanctioning bodies strips either fighter of their belts. I don't give a damn. These are the two best welterweights in the world let's get this fight done and ladies and gentlemen this has the makings of a classic fight you have two great fighters fighting each other for all the marbles at 147 and I've said over and over again throughout my almost 11 years of podcasting Throughout my over my, it's going on six seven years of writing for fight The greatest division in the history of boxing is the 147 pound welterweight division If you look at the division and the history of the division of all the legendary Fighters that have fought in the division from Henry Armstrong to Sugar Ray Robinson to kid Gavilan to Carmen Basilio to Emil Griffith, to Louis Rodriguez, to Jose Napolis, to Sugar Ray Leonard, Wilfred Benitez, Roberto Duran, Thomas Hearns, Donald Curry, Felix Trinidad, Oscar De La Hoya, Ike Quartey, Sh- Sugar Shane Mosley, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, and now we're talking Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford who continue that tradition of all-time greats In that division, no other division in the history of boxing has had so many legendary fighters in that division throughout its history Let's get the fight done, please It's about time And now, on to my number 44 fighter of the last 45 years And that's the Australian windmill, Jeff Fennec My father absolutely loved Jeff Fennec He observed that the Australian whirlwind was the closest thing he ever saw to Roberto Duran in terms of his fighting style and animal magnetism. Fennec was a relentless pressure fighter who, not unlike Duran, was seemingly tireless as he wore you down with body punches and rabid head movement. A style combined with an almost flawless prime that ultimately, ultimately... made Fennec the 44th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. After an incredible amateur career that saw Fennec get fleeced out of, a, out of winning a gold medal at the 1984 Los Angeles o- Olympics, when a fight he originally won by decision was overturned, the then 20-year-old Sydney Australian native turned pro. Immediately, Fennec made an impact winning the IBF Bantamweight title on April 26, 1985 by battering the Japanese world champion Satoshi Shingaki into submission in the ninth round. This was only six months after Jeff had turned pro. At the time, I was a high school junior who, of course, had no access to watching him fight. I had no choice but to follow the Ring Magazine monthly Asian reports Filed by the legendary Japanese boxing scribe Joe Koizumi Koizumi's description of Venix's ring exploits and dominance made me long to see him fight Years later when I began to collect Venix's early fights on videotape His explosiveness and dominance lived up to exactly what Koizumi reported Fennec's two-year reign as IBF Bantamweight Champion saw him destroy Shingaki in a rematch, and on July 18, 1986, in what was probably Fennec's most satisfying victory of his career, he defended his world title in his Sydney hometown against the, the 1984 gold medal winner of his division, Steve Macquarie, younger brother of former welterweight champion Milt Macquarie. Macquarie had defeated the Yugoslavian fighter Redzep, Redzepovsky, the same fighter who Fennec was robbed against to win the gold medal. Fennec took out his entire frustration from the Olympics on Macquarie that night when they fought for Fennec's bantamweight title by giving him a brutal, brutal beating over 14 rounds when the fight was finally stopped. McCrory was never the same after that fight. As you can see throughout many of the articles that I've written on Fight Game Media on the 45 greatest fighters of the last 45 years series, there's a constant theme with these great fighters. When they give a fighter a beating the fighter they gave the beating to is never the same. And speaking of that, last night, Ugas took such a beating from Spence, in my opinion, he will never be the same. At 35 years old, Ugas uh, should should retire. Uh, he's never going to be the same fighter. Um, I I got to see this fight against McCrory four years later when I was able to purchase videotapes On Fennec's career and my father and I watched this fight and my father was in in amazement over the dynamo that Fennec was. Pop kept saying over and over again how Fennec reminded him of Duran. Not unlike Duran. Fennec was as fresh late in the fight as he was in round one. On May 8th, 1987, once again in front of his faithful Sydney fans, Fennec moved up to 122 pounds and captured the WBC title with a fourth round destruction of the thigh champion, Samart Payakaroon. This was a complete one sided beating that ended when Fennec landed two thunderous rights on the champion's jaw, that resulted in the champion laying on the canvas motionless. Referee Arthur McCanti waved the fight off without registering a count After two successful defenses of the 122 pound title Fennec moved up to featherweight and on March 7th 1988 In another virtuoso performance in front of his Sydney fans Fennec batted Callejas Victor Callejas in the 10th round to win his third world title in less than four years as a pro Still only 23 years old, Fennec was already a three-division world champion. The sky was the limit for F- for Fennec, or so it seemed. After successfully defending his WBC 126-pound title three times, Fennec moved up to 130 pounds to attempt to become a four-division champion. On the night of June 28th, 1991, the undercard of the Mike Tyson Razor Ruddick fight the fight between Jeff Fennick and the reigning WBC junior lightweight champion or super featherweights as the WBC calls them Azuma Nelson was the fight that my father and I were looking forward to the most because we knew Tyson was going to beat up Razor Ruddick. Razor Ruddick was your typical one trick pony. Yes he had tremendous power in both hands but He didn't know how to jab. He was a horrible defensive fighter. He was all or nothing. And in two fights, it was nothing. As Tyson batted him over two fights. Yeah, I believe Ruddick hurt him one time, but that was it. And we all know Tyson had a great chin to begin with. So you're not going to knock out Tyson at that point in time with one shot if you don't have any... Real boxing ability, Razor Ruddick never had any real boxing ability And Ruddick was a straight up one trick pony That night, the fight like I mentioned The only fight that we really cared about Was the Jeff Fennick versus Azuma Nelson fight First time that you would see two fighters From two different continents Fight each other And those two fighters were considered the greatest fighters ever to come from their respective continents. Azuma Nelson, greatest fighter in the history of the country of Ghana and the greatest fighter ever to come out of the African continent. Jeff Fennec, the greatest fighter ever to come out of the Australian continent. My father and I couldn't wait for this fight because my father was telling everybody that he knew that Jeff Fennec was Roberto Duran like that? He was going to come out and he was going to dominate. First two rounds, Azuma clearly, clearly outboxed Fennick, but beginning with round three to the twelfth and final round, the next ten rounds, it was all Jeff Fennick as he crowded Nelson, kept him up against the ropes, batted him to the body, landed combination after combination. Azuma looked listless. Azuma looked old. He couldn't do anything to keep Fennec off of him. Inexplicably, amazingly, the judges called this fight a draw. One of the worst robberies in the history of boxing. My father and I were disgusted watching this fight. Couldn't wait for the rematch. And eight months later, they fought in a rematch, this time in Australia, in Fennec's home home country of Australia. The exact opposite occurred. This time, Azuma Nelson, as the great professional, as the great world champion, and as the great legend that he was, adjusted and boxed from the outside and brilliantly fought behind a left jab and counter-right cross that thoroughly kept Fennec off guard. Fennec wasn't able to pressure uh, Nelson. Wasn't able to go to the body. Nelson had an answer. For everything that Fennec had done to him. In their first fight. Finally in round 8. After Nelson had given. Fennec such a one sided beating. Referee Arthur McCanty stopped the fight. Amazingly. The official scorecards. Had Fennec even on two rounds. Going into the 8th round. Just like in America. I don't know what the hell the judges were looking at that night, March 1st, 1992, in Australia. Finnick was never the same after that beating. He observed that he absorbed at the hands of Azuma Nelson. Next fight, in his very next fight, he would get stopped by a featherweight and junior lightweight contender and former world champion Calvin Grove. Then two years later, in 1996... Fennec moved up to lightweight in another attempt to win a world fourth world title against the IBF lightweight champion, Phillip Holiday. The South African Holiday just totally blitzed Fennec, knocking him out in the second round. Fennec retired. Then, 12 years later, a 44-year-old Fennec fought a 49-year-old Azuma Nelson in Aus, in Melbourne, Australia, in a fight that should have been held in a nursing home, not in a boxing ring, these two guys had no business in the ring. Way past their prime. This was criminal. Fennec won a lackluster ten-round decision uh, to get some type of revenge, but it was it, it, you know what it reminded me of, ladies and gentlemen. It reminded me of when Bernard Hopkins and Roy Jones Jr. bought. Both fought each other in their uh, 40s. And uh, while Bernard still was a credible and excellent fighter, Roy Jones had no business being in that ring. Well, this night in Melbourne, Australia, neither Fennec nor Nelson were credible fighters. Uh, That would be the end of their careers. More on Azuma Nelson later. I will talk about his career extensively in a future podcast. Jeff Fennick would retire with a record of 29 wins, three losses, and one draw. Those three losses coming at the tail end of his iconic career. Basically, he was washed up by the age of 30. Uh, and it's because of his style. His type of style flames out early. If you look at in the history of boxing, fighters with Fennec style, fennec style aggressive in fighters like a Mike Tyson. Tend to Tend to Use up their skills By a very early age and that's what happened with Jeff Fennec that being said You cannot take away from his greatness You cannot take away from when he dominated the sport and you cannot take away The fact that he is the single greatest fighter ever born in Australia ever bred in Australia To ever fight for Australia ladies and gentlemen thanks for listening we'll be back next week on the pound for pound podcast what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation where it's not about mission statements but a shared mission at u.s customs and border protection we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore air to ground cities to local communities cbp agents and officers are keeping people safe